0: Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dave, and I haven't been here in a while. Uh, so it's very sweet to be back uh, downtown. Uh, if Some of you, someone asked me, like, hey, you're here. Like, almost like I moved away from Nashville. I have not <laughs> left Nashville. Uh, I'm currently uh, working at Midtown still, uh, planning the third congregation. So that's why I'm not here on Sunday mornings a lot, but um, that said, I've been in Midtown since Midtown was very, very small, so it's good to be back with you guys uh, this morning. We are in our third week of our Advent series, and uh, go to Luke 2 if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be camping out this morning, and this Advent, this kind of preparatory season has been looking at the coming of Christ in particular through Luke's account, and um, And what would it look like, we've been kind of focusing on this issue in particular, what would it look like for us to regain, or maybe even for you, maybe experience for the first time the wonder of what this season is all about, the wonder that this truth should generate in our lives, that Christ came as a baby, uh, became incarnate. That wonder would be the appropriate response to such a significant truth to everything we talked about all fall and gospel transformation, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, this was the, the beginning of that, Christ coming. And so it should generate marvel in us, wonder in us. Randy last week looked at one of the aspects that prevents us from experiencing that wonder. Uh, and he unpacked a little bit about John the Baptist and about his father Zachariah. Uh, and he really suggested something pretty profound and that was this that, that these two men they didn't hide what stunk in their lives. You guys remember this that they expressed their doubt, that they expressed uh, their fear. And, and God met them in that place. He didn't shame them because of it. He actually it was that was the bridge by which he met them, making Zechariah mute, uh, sending John the Baptist disciples back to him to encourage him to love him. And it produced in them, it was actually their exposure of their real selves, it produced in them, it gave the opportunity for a deeper sense of trust, a deeper understanding of the gospel, and ultimately wonder in what God was accomplishing in this story of Christ. And we suggested something, and I'll, I'll kind of recap it because it's, it's important. Because <laughs> so we're going to kind of dig in at this in a different way today. God can't meet you in the idea of yourself that you like to have. He can't meet you in the notion of you that you love perpetuating. He's with the real you. The you that's messy, the you that's broken, the you that has doubts, the you that has fears. He's with that person. That's the one that he's made a home in the heart of. And it's from that place... When you're with the real you, that he can move you into a deeper understanding and experience of himself, which is what generates wonder. Randy said it last week, when you stop being honest with God and you start thinking that Christianity is about being plastic and having it all together, you can't experience wonder in that place. And he suggested this. He said, this is why we need other people. Remember he talked about this, Mary and Elizabeth? Mary, when she began to understand the larger story that she was being invited into, she was going to be the carrier of Christ. When that larger story started breaking out in Mary's life, she was no longer living in her small story. And so when she went to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth's proclamation over Mary, oh my goodness, what is the mother of my Lord doing coming and visiting me? Do you remember who you are? Mary, remember who you are? Mary, this is who you are. She's screaming it. Wonder is the response to understanding that our identity has been eternally changed. You, if you are in Christ this morning, just as Mary, you are the favored ones. You are the ones that are highly favored. You are the ones that are highly graced, is what that word means. Grace has been poured out upon, not merit. That's how we use the word favor today. You're favored because you did something. That's not what this is talking about. You are highly graced. We lose wonder. Wonder begins to wane when we forget who we are, who we are in Christ. Remember Mary's song? Randy kind of touched on at the very end last week. He has done this. He has done this. He has. It's a a bunch of he has. (laughs) Mary just saying, you have done this. You have done this. It's a declaration of the truth of who God is, what he has done on our behalf. And Mary's song, Mary's song, her wondrous magnificat, is her response to the truth of that reality. I am responding to that truth. Remember, Randy said we all need someone who's in our lives reminding us of who we are, what has happened for us in Christ. Our new identity in him? The redefining of the nature of our purpose and existence that happened as a result of the coming of Christ? Who do you have in your life? That was the challenge last week. Who's your name screamer? (laughs) Someone who, when you walk in the room, they say, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are in Christ. This is what he's done for you. Who's your name screamer? Well, today I want to turn that coin over. I want you to imagine what we're going to do as as kind of, you know, coins have two sides to them. usually have different things, but they're the same coin. 25 cents is worth 25 cents, whether you're looking at the the eagle side or the face of who's on the 25 cents. Washington. Wow. How American of me. (laughs) Um, We're going to look at the other side of it, and it's this. You not only lose wonder when you forget who you are in Christ— but you really struggle to celebrate who you are in Christ. You lose wonder, or wonder suffers when you forget something else. And that's this. Who you were without him. Who you were before him. Without what he accomplished for you. Some of you guys are um, Friday Night Lights fans? Dylan Panthers? Yeah. Hold your rings up. kid. Smash Williams, smash baby! I'm the smash. Let me tell you something. If you talk about yourself in the third person, you've got a serious problem. Some of you do it, don't laugh. You're getting ready in the mirror for a big night. The burden's looking good. The burden's gonna have a good time tonight, aren't you, Burden? Smash, Mr. Third Person. Always talking about the Smash. You know who I love? Smash Williams, mama. She's a larger-than-life woman, and she always steps into the smash routine and says stuff like, Brian Williams. Not in my house, Brian Williams. You don't forget who you are. I work three jobs to put this family through school. The smash, I don't know who the smash is. I know who Brian Williams is. (laughs) She's his name screamer. She screams his name in a different direction, though. It's always good to be reminded where you came from. Some of you, Nashville's full of this, spend so much time trying to hide your roots. You're from places that are so less cool than Nashville. It ain't cool, and you're working hard at being something different than where you came from. Well, this passage today that we're going to study, it reminds us where we all came from. And I think we need to be reminded where we all came from. So go to Luke 2. This is verse 1 through 20, the birth of Jesus, and then the shepherds and the angels. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius... Was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So a census was being taken. This usually had to do with taxation purposes. About every 14 years, so David and Mary were heading back, we'll read here in a second, to Bethlehem. So Joseph, verse 4, went up <coughs> from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes, cloths, swaddling clothes, and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So David and Mary head back to Bethlehem. Mary gives birth to Jesus in a stable attached to the Motel 6. In the local town, not a very kingly birth. You've seen it, the manger, the hay, uh, very lowly. God is unfolding his remarkably unlikely process and story of redemption. The Savior has come in a very, very unlikely way. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping over their, wa- over their fl- watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts, like hiding behind the wall or something, about ready to, like, explode, Go. Cool. He hasn't said it yet. Here we go. They appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Heavenly host, by the way, like a thousand angels. So, angel band. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to stay away from the Talladega Knights idea I could go to. Uh, glory to God in the highest. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace on men whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them, they and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen, which they were, which were just as they had been told. Shepherds, this is where we're gonna spend most of our time this morning. Shepherds were watching their flocks nearby. These guys were outside of town, on the edge of town, and an angel appears to them, and then a heavenly host appears to them. They were terrified. Normal response seems to be consistent with everything else we see in the Bible. When angels show up, people get really freaked out. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, the gospel of great joy. Now, not unlike the manger scene, um, which was unlikely, this was kind of seemingly an unlikely bunch of guys that this message would come to. Uh, Shepherds, we don't probably, is anybody in here like friends with a shepherd, like an active shepherd right now, like someone who keeps sheep? No? All right. Uh, It's not a normal job, especially a city dweller job. Um, This is a very dirty job. Like, isn't there a show called Dirty Jobs or something like that? Like, this would be one of those jobs. Like, like you're the guy who cleans out the porta-potties after Bonnaroo. Job. That type of job. These guys would have been considered ceremonially unclean. Like, they couldn't participate in any of the religious activities because they were so dirty. I worked for a couple years in between my first job at a church in Midtown on a farm, a hog farm, 900 hogs, up in the middle of Indiana, and um, I remember taking showers. If you've ever been around pigs, they're disgusting, uh, filthy, filthy animals, filthy, filthy existence. I remember taking showers, standing in the shower. I, I could not cut my fin- I cut my fingernails this morning. I couldn't cut my fingernails short enough. <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. Like, you couldn't get the stink off. I was dating my wife at the time, and I remember, like, reaching for her face a couple times as we're dating. She's like, oh, <laughs> hey, yeah, no, it's still there, yeah. Yeah, it's still there. So you just wanted to take off the first layer of your skin because it was you were so dirty, and you couldn't get the stink off. That kind of a job. One commentator said that, that due to the proximity of these guys, that said they were nearby the town, More than likely, the flocks that they tended, the sheep that they were keeping and raising, were the temple flocks that were being raised for sacrifice. So these guys were the guys who raised sheep so that people could purchase them in order to take them to make sacrifice for their sins, to atone with the priest. This narrative would have challenged, this is a commentator, would have challenged the values of many of the religious people who despised shepherds. Shepherds' work kept them from participating in the religious activities of their communities. You see the irony here? They couldn't even be a part of participating in the Old Testament mediation because they were so ceremonially unclean because they were raising the lambs for other people's atonement. (laughs) These men... Upon hearing this news, for unto you, Christ the Lord has been born. Unto you. You who can't even keep the Mosaic law, unto you. I'm coming for you. They drop everything they're doing. They leave their sheep. And they go investigate the claim. Let's go. They hurried off. And when they go, what do they find? They find that the claim is true. There he is. And they respond. What's their response? They tell everything and everyone that they've seen, this is what was told us, and this is what has happened. We saw it with our own eyes. And it said that in there, in the text, it generated amazement. People were amazed at what was was happening glorifying and praising God is what it describes. Wonder erupted in the lives of these men and in the lives of this town. Well there are a couple things I would like for us to consider today. And the first thing is this. <clears throat> the wonder that we see in the shepherds, the wonder that we're talking about, we've been talking about for the last few weeks, that what we we desire we're trying to stir we want to reclaim or maybe we want to experience for the first time that wonder was a byproduct it was a result of something and it was this a further and deeper investigation into the claim they went and investigated what they had been told themselves and the second thing We'll get to that in a sec. Is this. The willingness to leave everything you have to go investigate and claim, it implies a very, very significant truth. And it's this. What you are leaving has little value in comparison or in light of the truth of the claim. What what you're saying, uh, I'm dropping everything to go find out about this. That thing that you're leaving behind, it it literally, it's not like, uh, it's like that doesn't exist anymore because of this. So the first thing, wonder was a byproduct or result of further or deeper investigation in the claim. First one, shepherd's wonder, it stemmed not just from the heavenly host, not just from the declaration, but from the validity of it, from seeing Christ. That's when we see them start to talk and praise and glorify God. They didn't just sit out in the fields and dance and say, Man, that's awesome. That's sweet. Isn't that sweet? High five, shepherd friend. I hope it's true. I mean, that'd be cool if it was. No, they dropped everything, they went to see it themselves. When I was in college, I got invited to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium, which is where Duke plays their basketball games. I grew up in Indiana. So I grew up supporting Michigan because, let's be honest, there isn't really anything to support in Indiana. And uh, I was like a Fab Five fan. So places like Duke and and North Carolina, you just despised them. Uh, You didn't understand it. And I had a friend who I went to college with, and I ended up getting to go to a Duke-Maryland game at Cameron When Grant Hill, who was a big deal at the time, was a senior, it was a big, big game. I sat on the bench. I've got a picture of me at a timeout, and it's like me, Grant Hill, and Coach K's like drawn on the board, and and I'm like looking in like, yeah, okay, I'll run that. I'll run that. I ended up getting to go into the locker room and meet Coach K and hung out with Grant's dad, and we talked about, you know, what guys who played in the NFL and guys who are youth pastors talk about. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Hey, so you're, you play in the NFL. I work with, um, like, 15 teenagers. <laughs> Let's talk. What do we have to talk about? It was amazing. I, I instantly converted. Like, it was like, it, it didn't matter whether I liked Duke or not. I, I got to go to, to Cameron Indoor and meet Grant and Coach K, and I talked about it, told everybody about it. So excited. You won't believe what I got to do. Here, let me show you the pictures. Let me show you the pictures. You talk about only what you've experienced personally. That's the only time we talk about those things in those ways. It's like when I remember people telling me about Arrested Development. I'd never seen that television show. And every time we would talk about it, like, have you seen Arrested Development? I'm like, no. Like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, it's like, hey, look, you're talking like I didn't go to the birth of my first child right now. And it was like this huge thing to them. And then I saw it, and I was like, wow, that is really funny. (laughs) You know? You only talk about what you have experienced, what has value to you, what has moved you. So, Midtown, if you and I aren't talking about the significance of the incarnation of Jesus Christ this season, if you aren't captured by the wonder of the significance that Jesus, Son of God, by whom and for whom and through whom the entire universe was created, is what Scripture tells us, preexistent before the creation of the world, Jesus, born a man, by his will and because of his love, he came in order to live a sinless life of perfect obedience to the will of the Father, because we couldn't, to atone for our sins and mediate between us and the Father, establishing through His blood and resurrection, your and my sonship and daughterhood, our place in the eternal kingdom that we now, you sit in this room in anticipation under the groans and the weight of that. The second advent, the return of Christ, the new heavens and the new earth, if you're not talking about that this Christmas, do you know why? Why are you not talking about that? Why am I talking about Christmas parties? What's next? Getting through the holidays. Is it possible, probable, that we've heard the announcement, but we haven't investigated the claim? Personally investigated the claim. If you come to Midtown and that's what you call your personal investigation of the claim, Think again. This is just a part, a small part, of your personal investigation. Leave everything and go find out about the truth and the significance of this. Investigating the claim of what we're talking about here this morning has two significant parts to it. It is mining out, mining like coal mining, digging deep. Two significant realities. Randy talked about one last week. Who you are now in Christ. It's what Mary's song was talking about. It's what Paul's letters are about. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. And the second one is this. And most people I meet don't want to do this one at all. They want to do the first one. I want to know who I am in Christ. But they don't want to do this one. They don't want to mine out. They don't want to dig into the grotesqueness, the absolute depravity of who you were without them. But let me tell you something, and this is, do not miss this. You cannot have one without the other. The cross, the significance of the incarnation, what Jesus did for you, it only grows your view of grace, grows, you see this, you've been to Gospel 101, you've seen this, the cross gets bigger when your view of grace, who I am in Christ now, grows only when it grows in tandem with your sin, your view of your sin, your view of yourself, your understanding of your depravity, your understanding of your incapacity, your need of him. Two infinite lines that go that way and that way, and the cross just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what that is? That's wonder. So if your view of grace is real small and your view of your sin is real small, no wonder you have no wonder in your life. You shouldn't be surprised. Tilt, tilt, and you have to dig in both directions and all the time. You see, the shepherds dropped everything because they weren't confused about who they were without this claim. They weren't doing the Nashville cool thing. They were nobodies. Without hope, and unto them a Savior was born. A Lamb was provided. The state of their lives was never going to change without such an outlandish promise coming true. They weren't confused. They weren't living in some illusion of their capacity to bring value to their life. Something outside of themselves had to intervene if any hope was going to be had. Most of us, and I put myself in this category, have not dropped everything to go further investigate. And I'm going to dig a little deeper. I hope you brought your shovel and maybe some boots. Because I believe there's a reason we don't. There's a reason we don't dig that lower line. And we see it in another group of people in Scripture. Same time, same group, or different group of people. (laughs) This is in Matthew, I believe, yeah, chapter 2. When Herod finds out, Who's the ruler at the time that Jesus was born? The Magi have kind of—you've maybe read the story. Uh, they've come and traveled a great distance. He calls this group of people the chief priests, the religious people, the religious cultural elites of the day. He calls them in and asks them, "What's this all about?" They—they they were the people. The chief priests were the people who should have been the ones anticipating this, y'all. They were the ones who understood everything about the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophecy. They should have been waiting with bated breath. What's happening? What's going on? What have we heard about? These are the people that Herod calls in. When Herod heard that Jesus was born, he was disturbed. This is verse 3. All Jerusalem with him. So Bethlehem, six miles outside of Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem is disturbed. The news is out, guys. This is not like a small band of people are kind of talking about this, the cool kids club. This is real big public news. And when he had called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Where he was to be born now. And we know that he has been born. He's saying, so tell me where this was supposed to happen. Basically, testing their knowledge. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, six miles from here. For this was what the prophet has written: But you in Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Six miles away. Most familiar people with the Old Testament. Awaiting the Messiah. They haven't made the journey. Yeah, something in the Bible said that, you know, it's going to happen. I don't know. We heard something over, yeah, over in Bethlehem. You know, that was the town that was predicted. Isn't that funny? Uh, Anyways. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 11. It's harder to move a rich man through the camel. You can move a camel through the eye of a needle quicker than you can move a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. These were rich men, these chief priests and teachers of law. Not just monetarily rich, but rich in their view of themselves. That rich man that that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11, he says he's kept all the law. I've done everything. I've observed that law since I was a child. What now? What do you want me to do now? You, you see the arrogance in the rich man? He's just like these chief priests and Pharisees. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You guys, the wise men beat these guys to seeing Jesus. The wise men would have come from probably Babylon 40 days. 800 miles. They weren't even Jewish. (laughs) They practiced astrology, dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, pursuit of wisdom, magic. (laughs) These were the open-minded intellectuals of the day, the heady bunch. They beat the chief priests and the teachers of the law there. I mean, it's astounding when you think about it. You see, I don't think we understand something. And I'm inviting you to really understand it this morning. Everyone in the story is just a shepherd. Everyone. The Magi, Herod, the shepherds, they're all shepherds. But only those who realize that they're shepherds, who see themselves for what they really are without Christ, without that Messiah. Those are the only people who experience the wonder and the significance of the gift. I saw Brad Paisley the other day in Frothy Monkey. Ooh. Sizzle. We talk about things like that. You know who I saw? Nicole Kidman. I saw him in the Frothy Monkey. And uh, I said to the guy with me, I said, uh, Hey, do this, Brad Paisley. Yeah, you kind of do that, do the little side mouth thing. (coughs) You know, we're kind of like, oh, that's cool. So, what were we talking about? I could talk about this idea a lot. Isn't it funny? There are a couple things. One, how cool would someone have to be for you to get real excited? Like, who would have to walk through the door? I th- I'd say for most people in Nashville, I don't. I don't know hardly anybody. Maybe one or two people on the list. I know in my hometown, small little Nowhere'sville, Indiana. Brad Paisley walked through the door. It'd be like a party happen. People be getting up, photos been taken, out autographs, because they ain't confused. That, that's Brad Paisley. And and he's a big deal. He plays for ar- like arenas full of people. I I listen to his music on my radio. It's uncool to get too excited, isn't it? It's just so uncool. You know what self-consciousness is? It's just another term for self-absorption. You don't want to get too excited because you're so excited about yourself. If I got so excited about him, then that would show that I'm just he's so much bigger than I am and I'm, I'm spending so much energy trying to be so big in my own life and get everybody to buy into that. That would be so uncool. How come none of us say, isn't that funny he has to come buy coffee where I do? Like, he has to come get coffee where the nobodies get coffee. Down at the Frothy Monkey, where nobodies get coffee. Yeah, just drink it in. I'll tell you what you're thinking. We barely acknowledge Brad Paisley because we're so busy being there trying to look like somebody's. If you are not mining out, digging into the claim of the incarnation, leaving everything to go study it more, the gift of God and Jesus, turning it over in your mind, marveling at its significance, talking about it incessantly, your view of yourself is more than likely the reason. And not your view of yourself of who I am in Christ, but you've forgotten who you were without him. You and I, we cannot experience the wonder of who we are in Christ and what he has done without first understanding and experiencing who in the world we were without him. So what are you going to spend your time doing this Christmas? Get back on the hamster wheel, spend so much effort and energy trying to make ourselves wonderful. Wonderful. Create wonder to myself, to others. Build something that people would look at and admire. Wow. Wow. How about making ourselves wonderful to God? Earn his favor. Somehow that all gets twisted too. We end up believing that our efforts entitle us to things from him. Look how wonderful I am, God. Now, come on. Here's the carrot. What an illusion. An illusion of modern arrogance stemming from the fall of mankind. That lie's been spinning for a long time. Wake up to your shepherd status, Midtown. It's okay. (laughs) It is okay. That's all we are. We're just a bunch of dirty shepherds. And that's who he came for. I was reading in a book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope by Andrew Del Blanco. Fascinating book. He talks about being in an AA meeting. I think it really kind of puts this to point. He says, while working a few years ago on an essay, about Alcoholics Anonymous, I attended some AA meetings around the country. There I met some desperate and remarkably eloquent people who found themselves in the grip of an addiction. The addiction I'm suggesting to us this morning is, is self-absorption. The Puritans would have called that a sin. From which they had sworn a thousand times to free themselves but which they had never really escaped. One Saturday morning in a New York church basement, I was listening to a crisply dressed young man whose every word and gesture gave the impression of a grievously wounded pride. (laughs) He talked at length about his faultlessness and his determination to avenge himself upon the many people who had traduced him. While he was speaking, the man sitting next to me, a black man of about 40 in dreadlocks and shades, leaned over and whispered, I used to feel that way too before I achieved low self-esteem. This was more than a good line. For me, it was the moment I understood in a new way The religion I had claimed to know something about. I understood in a new way. The religion I claimed to know something about. As the speaker bombarded us with phrases like taking control of your life, believing in yourself, toughing it out, the man beside me took refuge in the old Calvinist doctrine that pride is the enemy of hope. What he meant by his joke about self-esteem was that no one can save himself by a dint of his own efforts. He thought the speaker was still lost, lost in himself, but without even knowing it. This is just what Puritan divine Richard Sibes had meant nearly four centuries earlier when he said that most men are not lost enough in their own feelings for a Savior. Maybe our lack of wonder is stemming from the fact that we're lost, lost in ourselves. maybe almost in untraceable levels of self-absorption, that the wonder of the gospel, the coming of Christ, is simply out of our line of sight. It's not wonderful because I'm not looking at it at all. I heard the claim, I'm busy over here in my sheep field, except I'm pretending like my sheep field is a giant kingdom of gold. will not you come over and get excited about it? Wake up to your shepherd status. If you want to experience wonder, wake up to it. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, and I'll close with this. Here this is a reminder. This is as much as Mary was being reminded by Elizabeth, this is who you are now, Mary. This is Paul's reminder to the Corinthian church and the, the reminder to us. This is who you were before Christ. Brothers, this is verse 126 through 31. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Have you forgotten? Not many of you were wise by human standards. How much energy do you put into trying to be wise, guys? Not many of you were influential. How much energy? Not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. (laughs) It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Take your shepherd's status. Revel this Christmas in achieving low self-esteem investigate deeper the claim of Christ. Don't let it just be this morning that you do this. Go on the journey. What you're leaving behind probably has so little value compared to what you think it does. And I guarantee if you do it, you will experience wonder. Because the farm was where I met Jesus. Scrubbing those hands... Trying to get the stink off is where I met him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have done such a marvelous work. Forgive me, Father, that I treat you like Brad Paisley and the frothy monkey can barely get my attention half the time. Because I'm so busy trying to be cool. Father, break through our self-absorption. Shatter the illusions that we're living in, that we're anything more than just a bunch of shepherds, barely stewarding the things that you have given us. Father, wreck these comedic, plastic kingdoms that we call our lives that your little infant self could break through and show us that you're the only one who could make the sacrifice. You're the only one who could make things right. By your grace, explode that truth in our hearts and minds. In your name, amen.